Our text for today is from our gospel reading. We heard a few moments ago from John chapter 21. I'm going to be looking at several different verses throughout the New Testament, and so I'm going to be showing all those verses on the screen just to make it easier for us today. But if you do want to open up uh, to John chapter 21, please feel free to do so as we open up with a word of prayer. Oh God, we thank you that you have not been silent, but out of your grace and mercy you have spoken, and we have your holy and inspired word before us here today. So I pray for the one who teaches and proclaims for all of us who are learning and growing, we pray this morning in your grace. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whether you've been a Christian for all of your life, or if you're fairly new to Christianity, if you're really strong and robust in your faith, or if at times your faith feels so flimsy and thin, wherever you happen to be in that journey of faith, in that life of faith, almost all of us here today, to some degree or other, have had moments or times or seasons of doubt. Almost all of us. For some of us, maybe it's been more of an intellectual type of doubt. Did these things happen? Did they not happen? We saw that two weeks ago when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared to so-called doubting Thomas and his doubts. For some of us here today, maybe if life hasn't turned out exactly the way that we hoped or dreamed, or if we've had moments of disappointment or moments of real despair and struggle in our life, maybe we've had moments or seasons where we've doubted God's love, God's care for us. We saw that last week as Jesus, again in his resurrected state, appeared to two disciples as they were walking along a road to a village named Emmaus. They didn't even know that it was Jesus. He opened up the scriptures to them and showed them himself, and it's the word, it's the gospel that we need every day, every moment of our life. Or as we see here in today's text that is before us, there are those, in fact, perhaps many here today, and that shouldn't be there. Let's go back. There are perhaps many of us here today who have had moments, perhaps brief moments or longer periods where we've doubted whether or not God really has forgiven us or can continue to forgive us. Now, some of you here today doubt that you need forgiveness. Don't even think you need to be forgiven. Don't even think there is such a thing called sin. That's an entirely different sermon that only have time to go in today. But I think you're deceiving yourself, and I think if you look deep down, I think you know you're deceiving yourself. But for those of you here today who have ever maybe had a moment where you've doubted, can Jesus keep forgiving me? Some of you have Many of you have what's called a besetting sin. That's a sin that you just keep on committing, a sin that you keep 
falling prey to an idol of your life that you cannot seem to get rid of time after time after time and there are moments where you wonder can Jesus keep forgiving me and you're tempted maybe to not even turn and repent to him and I know there are people in the room today who maybe you've done something years ago and it still haunts you and bothers you and you still cry out Jesus please forgive me and all of us at times can have doubts. Can he keep loving me, keep forgiving me? That's what Jesus is speaking to Peter about. So what he's dealing with here in our text from John chapter 21. And again, this is another really strange moment, strange behavior on the part of Jesus. We've been seeing that a lot here recently. It seems like some really odd behavior on the part of Jesus. It seems like Jesus is being kind of mean to Peter. As he's speaking to Peter and he's talking to him and he's asking these questions and Peter has this deep grief that comes over him. It seems like Jesus is being mean. that he's hurting Peter. But what we see here, Jesus, you might know, is often referred to as the great physician. And I think here we see what kind of physician he is. He is a surgeon. And he's doing surgery on Peter. He's cutting Peter open and he's reaching in deep. And though it's painful for him, ultimately it brings healing in Peter's life. That's going to be our focus for today and how we can have that same healing, be free of doubts, and know we are forgiven. That's our focus. So let's dig into God's Word. The first thing I want us to see is the setting. John 21 takes place. The disciples have gone up to Galilee. Jesus had said he's going to meet them there. They go up to Galilee, and that's where they're from, and they start fishing. Peter and James and John and the rest. And there's this dramatic catch of fish and they see that it's Jesus there on the shore and they, they make their way to the shore and it says this in verse 9 of chapter 21 that when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire. That Jesus has set aside and he's created, he's intentionally made this fire. This, it says very specifically charcoal fire. And they've had some breakfast together, and now this is what I want you to see. I want you to see Jesus and Peter sitting by this charcoal fire and having this conversation. Now, this fire is very intentional. Because the only other place in the whole New Testament, the only other place in all of the Gospels, the only other place in the Gospel of John where a charcoal fire is mentioned is just a few chapters before this after Jesus is arrested in the garden of Gethsemane he's taken to the high priest's palace his house Peter if you know the story has been following behind secretly as Jesus has been led away and Peter is in the courtyard of the high priest and it says this in John chapter 18, verse 18. It says, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. 
And they were standing and warming themselves, and Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So now we have to see this scene. Peter at night in the courtyard, and he's standing by again, specifically says a charcoal fire, warming himself. And this is the setting of Peter's denial. Where they come up to him and they say, you're one of his disciples. He goes, no, I am not. And they come up to him again, you're one of his disciples. No, I am not. And they come up to him a third time, you're one of his disciples. He goes, no, I am not. I don't know the man. And the rooster crows and Peter realizes what he has done and he goes out and he weeps bitterly right there by that charcoal fire, his denial. It's no accident that Jesus in this moment has made a charcoal fire and then just as Peter had denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, now did you notice Jesus comes to Peter by this fire and three times, there's that repetition of the three times, he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So what is Jesus doing here? Is he is making Peter relive the worst moment of his life. Jesus is forcing Peter to relive the most shameful, worst moment and worst thing he had ever done. Very intentionally, Jesus is doing this for a reason. But it gets even worse, more painful what Jesus is doing here because he goes deeper. Again, he's a surgeon. He's opening up Peter and he's reaching in deep to remove this, this tumor, if you will. Because notice how he answers this first question, and this is what we saw on the screen a little bit earlier. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Look at how Jesus asked the question the first time. Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the rest of the disciples? Now, why is Jesus asking him that question? Do you love me more than the rest of the disciples? Well, this goes back to the upper room, to the Passover celebration, to the Last Supper, and Jesus had warned all of his disciples as they were there around the table. He says, you will all fall away. Do you remember what Peter's response was? This is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 26. Peter said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Though they are all gonna fall away, I will never fall away. It's like Peter saying to Jesus, Jesus, Come on, you're forgetting who I am. I'm Peter, 
Remember the name you gave me. It was Jesus who gave Peter the name Peter. Petroleum, petroglyph, petros in the Greek means rock. Jesus, I'm the rock. Don't forget who I am. They're all maybe going to deny you. They're all going to run away. Not me. I'm Peter. I'm the one who has courage. I'm more courageous than they are. I am more strong in the faith than they are. I'm more loyal than they are. I have more honor than they have. I have more love for you, Jesus, than they have. Don't you see who I am? This is who I am. I am Petros. I love you so much more than they. And this is why Jesus then in this moment again turns to Peter and he says, Peter, remember what you said? Do you love me more than these? And notice how Peter responds. He says, yes, Lord, I love you. But he doesn't say, I love you more than they do. And what is Peter's reaction? How does he respond to these questions, these questions, this question that Jesus asked him? It says in verse 17 that Peter was grieved. He's hurting because Jesus had said to him the third time, do you love me? And then Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. It's like, why are you doing this? The Greek here is really strong to be grieved. It is a overwhelming sorrow deep within. And what this is, this is Peter despairing of himself. This is Jesus opening him up and reaching in and removing this thing that had been who Peter was. I'm the one who's loyal. I'm the one who's brave. I'm the one who's good. I'm the one who loves more than the rest. I'm the good one. I'm Peter. And Jesus is removing this. And Peter is in deep grief, despairing of himself. But in this grief, it actually is leading to hope and to grace. This is a despairing of the self, but it actually is one that can be very healing for Peter. Jesus isn't doing this to be mean. He's doing this to heal him. And what do we know about Peter? I mean, we know that he becomes an apostle. He goes around the world. He devotes his whole life to the good news of Jesus and his grace and his love. And before Peter died, close to before his death, he wrote a letter, and he says in this letter, he says, I know I'm going to put off my body soon. That's how he phrases it. I'm going to die soon, but before I do, I want to make sure it is written down all the things that I know about Jesus. And we know that Mark was a disciple, was the right-hand man, was a secretary for Peter. So we have the gospel of Mark. And all conservative biblical scholars agree 
most all that the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter. It's Peter's remembrances that he made sure Mark had written down. And there is a detail in Mark's account of the denial of Peter. There is a detail in Mark's account that no other gospel has. A detail that I'm sure that Peter insisted that Mark include. Peter denies Jesus once, he denies Peter, he denies Jesus twice, and then the third time in Mark's gospel it says this, that after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean, but Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. He calls a curse down on himself. He doesn't just deny him, he curses himself. He is saying here essentially, may I be damned to hell if I know this man. So it's not just a denial and a denial and a denial, it's three denials, but it's calling a curse, may I be damned to hell. Why in the world would Peter want this included in Mark's gospel for all of the world to see. You see how Peter is just opening himself up and he is exposing the most shameful and the worst of his sin in this moment. It's because the old Peter had died and he had become new. Who he was wasn't who he was before. Who he was, his identity was so firmly rooted in the love of Jesus. Peter would go on later, many years after this, to write a letter we call 1 Peter. And in the first chapter, the opening words here in verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. According to what? According to my own ability, according to the fact that I am better than everyone else, according to the fact that I am the honorable one, according to my good works, according to how religious I am, according to all of my good deeds, according to my great love for God, no. Peter writes, according to his great mercy. He says, I've been born again. What does it mean for him to be born again or for us to be born again? It means the old Peter had died. All the things that he had been basing his life on and his identity and all of those things. Jesus had done that surgery and he was a new creation. I've been born again. I'm free. And he has this living hope. Martin Luther would say it this way. This is in his great work called The Bondage of the Will. Luther says, it's a lengthy quote, I'll put it on the screen. No man can be thoroughly humbled until he knows that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, devices, endeavors, will, and works, and depends entirely on the choice and will and work of another, namely of God alone. When a man has no doubt that 
everything depends on the will of God, then he completely despairs of himself and chooses nothing for himself but waits for God to work. Then he has come close to grace. We despair of ourselves. We say, may I decrease so that Christ may increase. It is not to my glory, but it is to Christ alone be the glory. I can do nothing to contribute, to earn, or even choose the things of God. It is by his mercy, by his grace. And ironically and paradoxically, it's when you die to yourself and you realize God has done it all that those doubts can subside and you can have greater assurance that you are forgiven because it rests nothing on you but purely on God's grace. Now one last thing. There's another detail that we find only in Mark's gospel that I'm sure Peter would emphasize. This is a detail that is connected to the moment of the resurrection. The women come to the tomb. They find the stone rolled away. The tomb is empty. They come up to the empty tomb. The angel is there. The angel says, he is risen. And then the angel says this in Mark's gospel, he is risen, so go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Now, did you catch it? Do you see how kind Jesus is being? It's Jesus who sent the angel. It's Jesus who told the angel what to say. And you can imagine the women come back with the message of the angels, really the message of Christ, to the disciples. And there is Peter and his shame and in his regret. And the women come and the, to all the disciples say, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And the angel said that he was risen. And the angel said, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he wants to meet you. And Peter says, what did he say? Oh, the angel said uh, that he is risen. Go and find the disciples and Peter. What did he say? Go and tell the disciples and you make sure you tell Peter. I want to see him. We can only surmise or guess what Peter's reaction was in that moment. He said, my name? After what I've done? You weren't there. I was rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and denying and calling curses down. It'll take my whole life to earn back his trust. It'll take my whole life to earn back his love. What I did to Jesus was unforgivable. And what would Jesus say to Peter? And what would Jesus say to you? He would say, that's the cross. What I did for you on the cross takes what is unforgivable and makes it forgivable. You have maybe committed the same sin 8,427 times. And there are times where you try to say, can I even ask him for forgiveness? I keep doing this. It is unforgivable that I am living my life this way. Help me, Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, it is unforgivable. But what I did for you on the cross takes what is unforgivable and makes it. 
unforgivable. You are forgiven. Come to the table today if you're coming forward. Receive the very presence of Christ and know that you are forgiven because it is not about you. It is always about him and his grace and to him alone be all the glory. Amen.